Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to Gore Animal cruelty Human suffering Mental conditions Death Factual inaccuracies Several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. I mean, sure, your kid could end up looking like Deadpool's butthole, but, you know, just go ahead and skip that smallpox vaccine. Why not? I'm Andy. I don't think I want my general practitioner to be Dr. Doobielittle. I'm Adam. Four chickens? I don't know. Puss rags don't just grow on trees, you know. You're gonna have to sweeten the deal. I'm Kelly. What's that? You're turning six years old today. Well, why don't you step right up and let me blow this scab up your nose? I'm Sean, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This week, we're finally going to get our hands dirty talking about vaccines. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay, hate mail. <laughs> finally tell everybody about the dangers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why I went to the doctor today and got stabbed with needles a bunch. Yeah. It's important. Etymology. This is a weird one. Vaca is a Latin word for cow. Moo. Yeah. And vaccinus is Latin for cows. So vaccine (laughs) means cows. Okay. Yep. We'll get into why, if you don't know already. There's a long list here of phobias. Trypanophobia is the fear of injections from Greek trypan, meaning auger, which... That's an unpleasant mm. way of putting it. Yeah. Isn't that also like cutting into someone's skull? Yeah. Yeah. Tre- well, that's trepanation. Yeah. That's when you drill a hole in someone's head. There's also acmophobia, which is the fear of sharp things like or, needles from Greek. Kathy. Yeah. It's fear of <laughs> Kathy. <laughs> from Greek acmo, meaning spear. That's what they are is spears. It's true. Tiny, tiny spheres. There's also balonophobia, which is the fear of lunch meat. <laughs> That's the fear of pins and needles from Greek balon, meaning needle. I'm learning so much about myself. <laughs> yeah. They call me Little Needle, Peter Balon. <laughs> so lots of phobias of this tool, though I couldn't find one specifically for vaccines. But personally, I think we're overdue. Well, then go get the vaccine. We're overdue for a phobia? Yeah, I mean, there's so many people afraid of vaccines. I um, feel like we yes, need a yes. name for that. And it's it's become its own subculture at this point. Right. It's called quackery. <laughs> so we're going to get into our acid pop quiz. For our true false, I'm going to list some diseases, and I want you guys to tell me if there is a vaccine to prevent mm. this disease. If there is, then I want you to tell me how long the vaccine is good for before you need a what? follow-up vaccine. No, I needed to be a doctor for this show. <laughs> oh, and finally, I would like you to take a guess at what the odds are of dying from this disease should you catch it. First, cholera. Is there a cholera vaccine? Cholera. I don't think so. But they have vaccines for a lot of stuff. I'm going to say no. But if you do catch it, you die half the time. Okay. In the, I think it was cholera where like in the Poisonwood Bible kids taking all the pills to prevent cholera so i assume there's not a vaccine or Hmm. at least there wasn't when the book was written (laughs) huh 
And I'd say there's a 30% chance of death if you catch it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever gotten a cholera vaccine. He was in the Navy. I yeah. say no vaccine. Okay. And what do we say? 30 and 50? Yeah. Yep. 40%. Okay. Well, there is, in fact, a cholera vaccine. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, it's only good for two years. So they don't tend to administer it unless you're in an area with lots of cholera, which there aren't many of those left. Maybe it was malaria pills. <laughs> and if you catch cholera, you have about a 5% chance oh. of dying from it. One in 20. Oh, why bother then? <laughs> that was a joke. Do bother. I'm lucky enough to have caught the, the disease when it's so rare. All right. The plague. No. And I feel like it's not really that deadly anymore. Hmm. But I'm going to go with 10%. Okay. I mean, we're all way off on cholera. <laughs> I'm also going to say no. Hmm. And it's, I'm going to say 8%. Okay. I mean, it's really, really rare now. It's true. Yeah. We've got to have done something. But it still happens. Like, I've, I feel like I just heard about some cases recently. We read one yesterday. So yeah. measles. <laughs> True. Right. So I'm going to say there is a vaccine. Okay. In that case, how long is it good for? It is good for your whole life. Ooh, wow. The refrigerator. And it is it, the plague. I know they have treatment for it now. So I'm going to say now it's only like. 1% lethal. Mm. Well, there is, in fact, a plague vaccine. <laughs> it's only good for six years. And again, it's one of those ones that just doesn't crop up enough to warrant administering it to everybody. But I want the plague vaccine. <laughs> well, these days, if you do catch the plague, you have a 0.24% chance of dying. So we've pretty much got the plague nailed down. How about anthrax? Pretty. Sh I've, I've gotten this shot. <laughs> I, I don't know if you, I just, I don't know if it's considered a vaccine. Or if it was just sugar water. Yeah. <laughs> you have control, Adam. You're safe now, honest. Gotten it. And then we sprinkled some magic on top. Adam's also crazy. I'm going to say no. And anthrax, oh, is, it's supposed to be pretty deadly, right? You have a 25% chance of dying of anthrax, should you mm. catch it. I feel like it's not that dangerous. I, I feel like I was also confusing it with SARS. <laughs> I remember getting the shot, but I remember them saying like weird stuff like you need like you need multiple ones to be like truly immune for a while. Because hmm. like a fungus. Yeah. You bathe nude under the full moon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it sounds different, but I'm going to say, yes, there is a vaccine. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say I have to say how long it's good for. Yep. Two years. Okay. And it's 5% deadly. Okay. If it was only 5% deadly, they wouldn't be sending it to Congress. That's so why they often. have to fill the whole envelope. Because <laughs> only 5% of the envelope is deadly. Ah. So I'm going to trust Adam's recollection here. That guy. <laughs> Say there is a vaccine. You need to get it every four years. Hmm. And it is, I mean, people are so scared of anthrax. It's mm -hmm. got to be pretty bad. I'm going to say 40%. Mm. Well, there is a vaccine. Yes. It's only good for a year, though, okay. which is why you don't typically get it. And 20% chance of dying. Oh. So close. Yeah. So Adam's close without going over. I did it. So, like, Congress should just get yearly shots. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they have they put it, like, right in your forearm, and then it feels like your whole arm's on fire for a few seconds. Yeah. It wasn't great. <laughs> That's like a delight. Your forearm. That's weird. Yeah. 
It wasn't like it wasn't in the elbow. It was like just in the <laughs> in the arm. <laughs> How about Zika virus? That's the one that causes the birth defects, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the pinheads or something. I'm gonna keep saying no until I get it right. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's looking on the bright side, saying we have no vaccines. <laughs> but Zika is five percent lethal. I mean, they're super worried about it for a while. Like, if there was a vaccine, wouldn't they start giving it to people? Like, they were going to cancel the Olympics over it. I mean, they got rid of Zima. <laughs> the alcohol? Yeah. I'm going to say there is no vaccine. Okay. And it's... What did you say, Andy? I said five. Five? I'm, I've been way off on all these. 80% deadly. Ah! <laughs> I feel like if there was a Zika vaccine, they would have given it to me while I was pregnant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, don't travel. Yeah. Just don't get Zika. (laughs) I don't think there's a vaccine. Don't don't let the mosquitoes get you. I don't think it's that deadly to adult humans. I think it's just deadly to fetuses. Hmm. So I'm going to say it's like less than 1% deadly. Hmm. You guys got it. There is not a vaccine for Zika. Fine. They are working on it. I'm a winner. And Kelly, you're really close. There is a 1% chance of it killing you in adults. But yeah, you guys are right that the big concern is for pregnant mothers because it's bad for the little old fetus. Oh, no. My bridge baby. <laughs> and our last one here, HIV. Vaccine? I feel like mm-hmm. I know that there's like... I feel like this is a trick question. I've seen commercials, but I don't, I don't know if it's pills. I'm going to say yes, there's a vaccine for HIV because there's like preventative measures you can take. No sex. That's, yeah, that's the measure. Abstinence is the only vaccine I need. It lasts for a year and a half. Hmm. And HIV is, I don't know how deadly it is anymore, but it used to be one of those things that they showed us videos about in elementary school. Yeah, I remember the bad guy getting into the white picket house. Yeah. 50%. Hmm. I'm going to, I feel like this is a trick. So I'm going to say there is a vaccine, okay. but they don't give Poor. it to us because it's only good. For five days. Six hours. <laughs> I swear, it's like on, on Hulu or YouTube, it's, it's a thing that says, hey, take this and you can have sex with, with your partner who has HIV and not worry about it. Hmm. Okay. Oh. Who's this huckster trying to sell this to you? <laughs> Hulu, I told you. <laughs> Dr. Hulu. Uh, and it's 30% deadly. Hmm. Okay. So there is a daily pill. Uh huh. I believe it's called PrEP. Okay. It might be PEP. <laughs> or poop. Uh, <laughs> And if you take that daily, then it drastically lowers your chances of either catching HIV or spreading HIV. Hmm. But that is not a vaccine. Hmm. I think they're working on one, but it's not like, you know, they're not giving it out in hospitals. I think it's still in development. And HIV is, I mean, we haven't like solved it, but you can live (laughs) a a healthy long life with HIV these days. So I'm going to say it's like, like 4% deadly. Hmm. Well, yeah, this one, there is not a vaccine, unfortunately. So again, we're working on it. And yeah, this one's strictly because it's basically 100%. If you get HIV, you're going to have it forever. And yeah, at this Eventually point, odds are, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, odds are it'll be from a complication from HIV. If it's not, then it's, you know, you got hit by a car or something. So, yeah. But it could be like 60 years later. Right. Yeah. yeah. When that AIDS car comes down the road. <laughs> so we're moving on to fill in the blank. The first vaccine was for what disease? First vaccine? The very first vaccine. Smallpox. I think that's right. 
I mean, that okay. was the big famous one. Hmm. Could be polio. Damn it. Bungo is not like. Yeah, I thought there was the whole thing with cowpox and yeah. milkmaids. Mm. And, mm. So I'm also going to say smallpox. Yeah, I, I think that's right. You guys got it? It is smallpox. Do you know when that was? Ooh, a while ago. 1997. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like the 1915. 1910. I'm, I'm, that's not my real catch. <laughs> I think it was much, much earlier. Hmm. Like. Like 1990. Like, <laughs> like somewhere in like the late 1700s, early 1800s. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Nailed oh, it. 1798. Damn. Wow. All right. Do you guys know Edward Jenner? Oh, yeah. He's a good friend of mine. Yeah, I had him over just, just the other day. Kylie Jenner's dad? <laughs> we'll get into a bit, but he's the guy who came up with that first smallpox vaccine. How about Louis Pasteur? He's the guy who invented oh, sure. pasteurization. Yeah. So those guys are pretty famous, but how about Maurice Hillman? Is he the guy who made MMR? Uh, he is the guy who made MMR. Oh, yeah. wow. Look at you, college boy. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like those first two are pretty big names, but most people have never heard of Maurice Hillman, but he may be the greatest vaccine inventor ever. Some of his samples were taken from his daughters. Yeah. How many vaccines did he make? Oh, crap. At least the three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with 18. Let's, let's, That's the exact number I was just going to say. <laughs> 18 seems like a lot. Hmm. I mean, are you saying how many working ones did he make? or like He made a yeah. lot. Like the guy's, a, the guy's very dedicated to what he did. <laughs> I'm sticking with that number just because it seems crazy that we both thought of the exact same random number. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say seven. Okay. The correct answer is 40. Whoa! 40? Yeah. There aren't even 40 vaccines! There's not even 40 diseases in the world! <laughs> not anymore, but yeah, these days there are about 14 vaccines that people typically get, and of those, he invented eight of them. Wow. Yeah. So he's a vaccine rock star. And uh, about how many people are estimated to be saved annually by Hillman's work? Oh, crap. 100%. <laughs> All the people. Everyone saved. I'm going to go with... <laughs> 150 million. Wow. Mm. Mm. Uh, 100 million. Okay, sticking with all of them? I'm sticking with everybody. <laughs> no, it's 8 million. Jeez. 8 million people every year. Which, That's as we know, is the population of the planet. <laughs> so we're on to our terms. Do you know what variolation is? Uh, that is when my elation varies. <laughs> From time to time. Yeah. That's that's the act of viruses getting all mixed up together and making new virus babies. Virulation. <laughs> I have a viral relations. <laughs> I was kind of going to say something a bit like Adam said, but I'm going to say it's... Put a twang on it. Sort of the other side of it where you have to keep updating vaccines to keep up with mm. the evolution of diseases. Hmm. Well, this was actually a precursor to the smallpox vaccine. It was used in China as far back as 1000 CE. And here's what you do. You find a person with smallpox. Okay. That was not hard. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably, you want someone with a mild case. Oh, whoops. <laughs> not a corpse. Right. <laughs> so then you find a promising scab on this person and you rip it off. Yeah. <laughs> you grind up that scab until it's a powder. Then you go to a healthy person, scratch their arm, and rub the powdered scab in there. Hey, what the hell, you dick? <laughs> Congratulations, you have smallpox. Yeah. You're now a villain. 
And that was how you stopped yourself from getting a bad case of smallpox way long time ago. Like, like giving getting, it to someone else? Yeah, getting a light <laughs> case of smallpox. Yeah. Well, typically that person, that healthy person you found was your child. So, Oh, I see. There you go, kid. I thought it was like a, a chain letter or something. Where I, had to give, I had to give somebody else the dead person the smallpox. It's like the ring. <laughs> I must infect five other people. It follows with scabs. <laughs> Gross. What's insufflation? Insufflation. It's just another drunk word. <laughs> the viruses all get insufflations. It's the act of the virus is getting all big inside you. I would get a vaccine, but I have insufflation <laughs> funds in my wallet. <laughs> yeah, that's the opposite of inflation. It's when money uh, loses, like uh, mm. you need less money. Now, so after a few hundred years of a success with variolation, the Chinese refined the technique to the most effective method they could come up with, and they turned that into a ceremony. It was done on children, and first they got three or four promising-looking scabs from someone with smallpox. Then they ground them up, mixed them with grain of musk, which I don't know what that is, and then they packed that with cotton into a silver tube. The tube was then put up the nose of a child, and the powder was blown into their sinuses. Right nostril for boys, left nostril for girls. Sure. That's just science. And very important. And that was how they prevented kids from getting smallpox. And how successful was this? Uh, pretty successful, actually. Really? We'll get into it a little bit here. Go China. Yeah. I mean, that was a long time ago. That was a very long time ago. <laughs> See, I would have guessed China for some of these, but none of these words sound like Chinese words. Yeah, they're sort of like the English description of what the Chinese no, were think. doing. The grain of musk is when you take a deer's musk pod okay. and plant it. <laughs> no, no you, you scrape out the reddish brown paste and the black granular material it dries into is called musk grain. Is that what deer Weird. used to go to seed? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you plant a new deer. And that concludes our acid pop quiz. We're going to get to our stories here, but I'm going to do these in chronological order, but we have two sets of stories. First, we're going to talk about the awesome history of vaccines, because it is pretty awesome. That's kind of unusual for us, but this stuff's pretty cool. And then we're going to talk about the darker side of vaccines. The story of vaccines starts with smallpox. Now, numbers are hard to get because it was so widespread for so long, but smallpox is a contender for the most deadly thing ever. And it's pretty nasty. When smallpox yeah. became big pox. <laughs> The plague may have killed 50 million people while it was going on, but in the last 100 years before it was wiped out, smallpox killed 100 million. It killed the population of the Americas. <laughs> wow. We found biological evidence of smallpox as far back as 10,000 BCE, so it's had a good long while to kill us dead. If you're unfamiliar with how this disease works, well, you can thank vaccines for that. <laughs> But to fill you in, smallpox was an airborne virus which you could inhale to catch. A couple of weeks after you caught it, you would get flu-like symptoms. A fever, aching muscles, and maybe some nausea with occasional bouts of vomiting um, and diarrhea. A few days after that, you would get sores on the inside of your mouth. A day or two... <laughs> yep. A day or two after that, you would positively bloom with hard red bumps from head to toe. You're delightful. You'd be hard to see under all of these painful, pus-filled lumps. Over the next few weeks, the lumps would drain, leaving nasty scabs in their place. Since you were more or less covered in them, you would basically be one big scab. 
Best case scenario, the lumps wouldn't be too bad and you'd clear up without scarring too much. <laughs> this was very unlikely. Much more likely was you would be left with disfiguring scars for the rest of your life. If you lived, you had a one in three chance of going blind. If you were well taken care of and you had plain old run-of-the-mill smallpox, your odds of dying were about 20%. Oof. If you had a nastier form of smallpox, or if, say, people tried to treat you by rubbing mercury into your wounds, your <laughs> odds steadily went down from there. Quick, give them superpowers. <laughs> but you did look cool. During a particularly bad outbreak in Berlin, the mortality rate was 98%. Ah, there's nobody left in Berlin. <laughs> Pretty much. So yeah, smallpox equals real bad. Thing is, as early as 430 BCE, people started noticing that once you caught smallpox, you didn't really catch it again. People who had survived an infection were often asked to help out with people who were currently infected. As early as 1000 CE, China had figured out that if you infected someone a little bit, they were much less likely to die and afterwards usually didn't get infected. This is where variolation and insufflation got rolling, though the mortality rate of these techniques was up to 2%, so not perfect. Yeah, that would be a, that'd be a hard day if you yeah. infected your child with smallpox and <laughs> yeah. it didn't go well. We had one of those smallpox parties and it all went bad. <laughs> <laughs> Things going so well until the finger foods. <laughs> Similar things were going on in India. I guess a common practice was for a mother to go to the home of a child who had smallpox, tie a rag around a particularly oozy boil, and then haggle with the mother of the infected child for the gooey bandage. Oh, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> Once a deal was struck, the moist and fragrant wrap was taken back home and a small cut was made on the uninfected child's arm. The squishy rag was wrapped around it, and they were inoculated. Uh, <laughs> and people think needles are bad. Yeah. And then rub some dirt on it. <laughs> so, yeah, this is all gross, but it's it's cool because they were making observations and then doing things based on those observations. Yeah. And they weren't blaming, you know, gods Spirits. or, yeah, their liver <laughs> or whatever. They're just like, this works. We don't know why it works, so we're just going to keep doing it. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean... Doing all that without any germ theory or right. anything, just knowing how to make it work. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, even up to the late 1700s, people were writing papers like, you do this, it works. We don't know why. Just do it. The Indians figured out the secret of the use before the turtles did. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so word of all this got back to England several times, and English physicians just looked at it and said, boy, those people are weird. That's gross. Yeah. But then in 1718, Lady Mary Wortley Montague went to Istanbul. Now, she had some nasty scars from smallpox and her brother had died from it. In Istanbul, she saw the practice of variolation and decided to try it out on her five-year-old son. <laughs> so brave. That went well. So she went back to London and she did the same to her four-year-old daughter in front of some doctors. One of the doctors got permission to try the technique out on six inmates. Probably not their permission. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, they said, listen, we're going to make you immune to smallpox. If that doesn't work, you're probably going to die. But if it does, you get to go free. Mm. I don't know if the prisoners got a vote, but luckily it worked. After that, the technique built up steam in Europe. It became common practice despite the 2 or 3% mortality rate. 
1757, an eight-year-old in England got variolated, and his name was Edward Jenner. He was an orphan and not a great candidate for survival had he gotten smallpox, but thanks to variolation, he never got it. I mean, 2% is better than 20%. Exactly. So I've always and better than 98%. Mm-hmm. So as he grew up, he was a bit of a whiz kid. He was a surgeon by age 13. What? I wouldn't trust yep. that kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, once he puts on his mask, you don't even know. <laughs> puts on his fake butt mustache. Frank, we're operating on today. <laughs> Stacks himself on another child. It's <laughs> <laughs> just two 13-year-olds in a super long lab coat. Now I'll just pick that up with my left hand. No, my left hand. Yes, nope, more to the, yep, 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 that's it. <laughs> He's the best. <laughs> So while working as a surgeon in Sodbury, he heard a dairymaid say, I shall never have smallpox, for I had cowpox. That was interesting, because cowpox was the smallpox of the bovine world, and it could be caught by people, but it just gave you a bit of a cold. Hmm. How'd they know it was a pox then? Well, they, they just called it that. I mean, okay. it, it, it gave the boils to cows, so it was sure. similar. Okay, I guess you could see the correlation. Mm-hmm. Now, this was before clinical trials and microscopes and... Anything like medical ethics, so he did the only thing he could with this information. He inoculated an eight-year-old boy with cowpox and then tried to give him smallpox. (laughs) Yeah. Stories vary, but he tried somewhere between six and 20 times to give this boy smallpox. He didn't actually like the kid very much. I feel like it was pretty easy to get smallpox. You probably don't need to try that many times. Bring me idiot Jeremy again. (laughs) Luckily for both of them, it worked. He started telling people about it and even wrote a little pamphlet where he coined the term vaccine because it came from cowpox. That's how we got vaccine. Uh So this technique grew in popularity very quickly. He did his experiment on the boy in 1798. In 1802, the government just up and gave him 10,000 pounds for all the lives he saved. Wow. And Five years later, they gave him 20,000 more. By 1840, variolation was outlawed and vaccines were the way of the future. Now, Jenner could have done a lot of things along the way to try and turn a profit from his invention, but he just wanted people to be healthy. Except for idiot Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get that kid. (laughs) Till the day he died, he had a little hut in his backyard where he would vaccinate anyone who came to see him for free. So, yeah, Jenner was a great guy. The next wonder kid to take a crack at vaccine was Louis Pasteur. Now, this guy just could not be wrong. I mean, he seemed to follow the scientific method, but it's just that his first guess was always right. In 1856, when he was 35, he took a guess that food and wine went bad because of little invisible critters growing in it. He figured that boiling temperatures killed everything, so if you heat up, say, wine or milk, it would kill any nasties living in it. Bam, pasteurization. Boom. I can't get to bed without my boiled wine milk. (laughs) (laughs) Boiled wine puts me right to sleep. This saved who knows how many lives. A couple years later, he disproved spontaneous generation with a super simple experiment that anyone could do. Won the Alhumbert Prize. About 15 years after that, he went on to vaccinations, and a lab assistant that was supposed to infect some chickens with cholera didn't do it, and then that assistant went on vacation himself. Then the assistant came back before Pasteur realized he'd forgotten to infect the chickens with cholera, 
and decided to infect them with the cholera that had been sitting out for a week. And then the chickens didn't get cholera. He was fired. Well, Pasteur came back and the assistant fessed up to what he did and Pasteur could have said, well, I guess that experiment failed, but instead he decided to infect those chickens with a fresh batch of cholera. And when that didn't work, he figured that whatever was in the first culture had died, but was still nasty enough for the chicken bodies to produce antibodies. And he had just discovered inactive vaccines. Hmm. How would you like to be the chicken cholera infection assistant? (laughs) I wouldn't mind that on a resume. (laughs) Like, what does that job ad look like? So Pasteur kept the name vaccine as a nod to Jenner. He then guessed the cause of cattle and sheep anthrax on his first try and made the first anthrax vaccine. Stop it. (laughs) A few years later, he did the same thing with rabies and tested it out on a boy who was bitten by a rabid dog. It worked. Pasteur was a hero and he won lots and lots more awards. Seriously, this guy just could not get it wrong. I don't know what everybody's complaining about. This science stuff is easy. (laughs) Nobody likes him. No one sits at his table at lunchtime. (laughs) Wouldn't you know, I discovered another vaccine today. (laughs) Sitting at home. But but maybe he was like a drunk or something. He's just sitting at home like, uh, Louis, the milk's gone bad again. Boil it. (laughs) (laughs) There's like a little man in there. Give it to the chickens. (laughs) So the next big name was Jonas Salk. Salk was born in 1914, and as he grew up, polio was becoming a huge deal. In 1948, he started seriously looking into the polio vaccine, and 1952 was the worst year in America for polio. There were 58,000 reported cases, and of those, 3,000 people died and 21,000 were paralyzed. Can you give us a quick rundown on polio? So polio is a virus that either kills you or paralyzes you for the rest of your life to some degree. Or you're fine. But um, yeah, a lot of the time it paralyzed you or killed you. It's also played on horses. Mm-hmm. That's why you'd see people in like leg braces, right? Right. The deadly water polio. <laughs> so there was a bit of a race going on to make the vaccine and Salk just happened to win. People were so desperate that the trial run of the polio vaccine involved 1.8 million children. And it worked. Now, Salk could have patented the vaccine, and it's estimated that if he had, it would have been worth $7 billion. Oof. Instead, he just gave it away to anyone who asked. Well, yeah, we don't need a bunch of paralyzed people. Yeah. So around that same time, Maurice Hillman was working, too. He got his vaccine start while working at an army medical center in 1957. Him and some colleagues identified a new super deadly flu strain and basically worked nonstop to come up with a vaccine in nine days. <laughs> 69,000 people still died, but countless others that might have died were saved because he came up with the vaccine so fast. He then went to work at a pharmaceutical company and he just about couldn't not make vaccines. He led work on measles, hepatitis, and chickenpox. In 1963, his daughter caught the mumps, so he came up with a mumps vaccine. Because why not? said, a little late, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) You're giving me fresh mumps. (laughs) And all he wanted was to get vaccines out there. Of the 40 or so vaccines he invented, none are named after him, and most people have never heard of him. Mm -hmm. So that's all good stuff, but now we're going to talk about the bad stuff. 
So we like to think of anti-vaccination as a new thing, but the sad truth is that Jenner's invention was met with immediate pushback in 1798. I could see that. Yeah. Jenner was a man who just wanted to help, and the pushback broke his brain. He stopped making public appearances and just kind of hid at home. In the back shack. Even though the anti-vaxxer movement turned Jenner into a hermit, vaccines were still a really good idea. But here's the thing. How do you get cowpox to other places? Cows are kind of hard to transport, and there's no such thing as refrigerators. Well, when it came to getting vaccines to America, here's what the king of Spain decided to do. Get 22 orphan children. (laughs) (laughs) Vaccinate a couple of them, put them all on a boat, and send it towards America. As the first two start to show signs of cowpox, use that to vaccinate the next two, and so on. This worked, and patients 0 through 21 arrived in America, spreading the vaccine among the settlers. But not the natives, goodness no. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously not. So meanwhile, back in England, variolation was banned in 1840, and vaccines became required in 1853. This caused the formation of the Anti-Vaccination League and the Anti-Compulsory Vaccination League, League. (laughs) along with several journals all about the evils of vaccines. These people want to go back to virulation? No, they just wanted both to stop. Yeah. So these journals depicted vaccines as a snake, a monster, or death itself. And it showed the children who were vaccinated turning into monsters. Oh, God. Sounds familiar? Yeah. Vaccinate your children after midnight. So in 1898, Britain finally capitulated and allowed for exemptions. If you went to the government and told them that you were a conscientious conscientious objector, they would give you a pass on getting vaccines. And that's where the term came from. By the end of the year, they had given out 200,000 of them. Wow. This set a precedent, and the idea of being a conscientious objector spread to the U.S. So around that time, a Russian bacteriologist named Waldemir Mardechi Wolf Hafkine, yep, quite a name, he was working on a plague vaccine. This was going great, but here's the thing with anti-vaxxers. They will leap at anything, anything that goes wrong with a vaccine. Yeah, your work needs to be airtight. Yep. So Halfkind was in India, where the plague was a serious problem and was having success with his vaccine. That is, until in 1902, 107 people were given the vaccine and 19 of those died. This quickly led to an inquiry and many shouts about how the vaccine was unsafe and unnecessary. Halfkind was originally suspended, but then they changed their minds and fired him. Oh. Years later, an investigation showed that what happened was a lab tech had dropped a bottle cap and then popped it right back on the vaccine, infecting the vaccine with tetanus. No. (laughs) But for years after, this was a rallying event for the anti-vaxxers. At this time, vaccines came in a big vial that was used over and over again, and unfortunately, the whole batch becoming infected was something of a story that just kept happening. So, of course, they all rallied for safer lab procedures. (laughs) Meanwhile, in America, a diphtheria antitoxin, which is kind of like a vaccine, was being made by infecting horses with diphtheria. A lot of diphtheria. When they got over it, their blood was extracted and the antitoxin was injected into people. In 1901, in St. Louis, an infected horse died. 
the people working on it said, nah, it's probably still good. And they drew out the blood and shipped it out to doctors. 13 children died as it turned out this horse had died from tetanus, which came right along with the horse blood. Yep, it's usually So this was a catalyst in America for the government to start supervising the manufacture of vaccines. Not a bad idea. It's a great idea. But there was still a little bit of a Wild West as far as science went. They approved the manufacturing methods, but there was still a lot of room for things to go wrong when trying to perform those methods. In 1919 in Dallas, a vaccine was a mix of diphtheria and an antitoxin. These were injected at the same time so that the diphtheria would be weakened a bit, but still recognizable to the body's immune system. So you you just, you toss in a bunch of like on their last legs viruses and the body says, hey, it just beats the shit out of diphtheria. Yeah, but that's a pretty fine line to walk. And of 300 people that were given this vac, or sorry, 300 children that were given this vaccine, 120 got diphtheria and 19 died. This was added to the anti-vax fire. There is no science without heaps. <laughs> In 1926, some officials went to Georgetown, Delaware to administer some vaccines. They were met by an armed mob led by a retired army lieutenant who forced them out of town. Wow. They were in Delaware. (laughs) Yeah. In 1928, in Queensland, Australia, another diphtheria vaccine got infected with a bacteria and 12 children died. More fuel for the fire. In 1929, a tuberculosis vaccine in Lubeck, Germany, was supposed to have one type of TB, but it ended up with another. Of 252 babies that were vaccinated with this batch, 72 died. That's a lot of babies. Then there was a big one in America in 1942. Japan bombs Pearl Harbor and America decides that they're not taking any chances when it comes to biological warfare. They ordered the inoculation of every person in the military. If a soldier refused, they were court-martialed. Wow. They were so worried that they heard about a new yellow fever vaccine that was in testing and wouldn't be ready for another 11 years. And they said, close enough. Yep, I must have it. <laughs> they decided they couldn't wait and injected everyone with it. God. Unfortunately, they rushed the still new process, and this led to an infection of hepatitis. <laughs> 330,000 soldiers caught hepatitis. 51,000 were hospitalized and many died. So that very much sucked. But then in 1955, production of Salk's polio vaccine went into high gear. And unfortunately, this led to one of the worst vaccine disasters ever. A company called Cutter Laboratories was tasked with making the vaccine, along with a lot of other pharmaceutical companies. Salk's polio vaccine was an inactive virus vaccine, so the virus was killed, then injected. Cutter's labs killed most of the polio in their vaccines, but they weren't playing horseshoes or making hand grenades. They left that business behind them. (laughs) War's over. Back to viruses. (laughs) 120,000 children received the vaccine, and of those, 40,000 caught polio. Damn. A good third there, huh? 56 were paralyzed and five died. Polio also happens to be very contagious, so those children spread it to thousands more, leading to another 113 paralysis cases and five more deaths. 
Of course, if they hadn't been vaccinated, they also may have caught and spread polio. Yeah, yeah. So this was sort of a trump card for anti-vaxxers, and all of the shade got thrown at Salk, despite it being a manufacturing error. So that was really bad, but it led to much more stringent supervision of the manufacture of vaccines. After that, it was something of a golden age for vaccines. From the 1970s on, there really aren't any serious vaccine incidents. In 1976, during a swine flu pandemic scare, a new flu vaccine was rushed through the FDA and administered to 45 million people. There were reports of Guillain-Barr syndrome, which we've talked about before. It's sort of a neurological condition where your, your nerves go a little weird. Mm. And in response, they stopped administering the vaccine and looked into it. Studies showed that the vaccine had a 1 in 100,000 chance of causing Guillain-Barr syndrome, and of those affected, 53 people died. That sucks, but it is less than 0.00002% of the people that got the vaccine. But as far as really bad things happening from vaccines, that's about it. But then we get to 1998. And Andrew Wakefield. Is this He's a doctor in Britain. Should we all say boo hiss together? Yeah. He's boo. I was saying boo earns. <laughs> <laughs> so this story is so dumb that it gives me a headache. But here's what happened. So for all our listeners out there looking for a headache, here you go. Some families had kids that were diagnosed autistic and they were looking for someone to blame. They went to some lawyers, and the lawyers had heard that there may be a link between the MMR vaccine and autism. So the lawyers went to Wakefield and said, here's 12 clients of our autistic kids, and they all received the MMR vaccine, and here's a huge pile of money. See if you can find a link. (laughs) Maybe it's under all that money. (laughs) Amazingly, he did. He wrote a paper and got 12 colleagues to sign it as co-authors without, I have to believe, reading it at all. Wakefield submitted his paper to The Lancet, a respected medical journal, and somehow the fact that Wakefield's sample size was 12 and that he had no explanation for the link he claimed to have discovered just slipped by the editors. His paper got published and it started one of the biggest anti-vaxxer movements in history. But it's so dumb. A doctor was paid by lawyers to publish a paper about 12 kids so that their families could sue the pharmaceutical companies. That's what happened. And this paper has been refuted so many times. Mm -hmm. When all this came out way too late, The Lancet retracted the story and Wakefield had his medical license revoked forever. No one cares about retractions. (laughs) Yeah. But unfortunately, the largest anti-vaxxer flag was flying high. And after 20 years, we still haven't brought it down. Oh, no, there's plenty of presidential tweets about it. (laughs) So the anti-vax movement is building up steam despite the Everest-sized pile of evidence in favor of vaccines, which leads to things like measles outbreaks, a disease that is supposed to be eliminated in the U.S. In 1991, thousands of children were infected with the measles. Patient Zero was tracked back to the faith-healing church that discouraged vaccines. In 2008, there were 64 cases of measles. 63 of those people were unvaccinated. 
Later that year, an unvaccinated six-year-old took a trip to Europe, caught measles, and when he got back, he gave it to 11 of his unvaccinated friends. Oof. Cases continued and peaked with 667 cases in 2014. But guess what? We just broke our record. 1,261 cases so far this year. And while all this is going on, anti-vax groups do things like watching Facebook for stories of children dying by a preventable illness, then get together posses and spam the parents with Facebook messages saying that they made up the story and had no child, that the vaccine killed the child and the parent blamed the disease, or that the parent murdered their child and needed a scapegoat. Which is not a nice thing to do to a grieving parent. No. So, yeah, that's where we are. Unfortunately, anti-vaxxers can't be reasoned with, so all the evidence in favor of vaccines doesn't matter. Some people are frightened by vaccines, and they are just looking for an excuse to justify their fear. But even though we poked a lot of fun at anti-vaxxers today, I did want to say a few things. First, unless you and all your children are 100% vaccinated, you really don't have much room to put others down. You are still a threatening disease vector, so if you truly believe in vaccines, go get caught up. And you're probably not. Yeah. Not caught up, I mean. Right. I just got caught up. (laughs) Second, no one changes their mind by being told how dumb they are. Some people (laughs) have become anti-vaxxers because they asked their doctor or friend some innocent questions about vaccines and were mocked for having concerns. You are so stupid. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why do I even go to this doctor? (laughs) But the strategy of belittling and mocking anti-vaxxers makes more anti-vaxxers than it changes. If you encounter someone who isn't in favor of vaccines, listen to their concerns with a sympathetic ear and try to reassure them as positively as you can. But finally, I wanted to end with a quote of one of the greatest messages about vaccines. This was published in an article by Dr. William Osler in 1911, and he said, I would like to issue a Mount Carmel-like challenge to any ten unvaccinated priests of Baal. I will go to the next severe epidemic with ten selected vaccinated persons and ten selected unvaccinated persons. I should prefer to choose the latter. Three members of parliament, three anti-vaccination doctors, if they can be found, and four anti-vaccination propagandists. And I will make this promise, neither to jeer nor to jibe when they catch the disease, but to look after them as brothers. And for the four or five who are certain to die, I will try to arrange the funerals with all the pomp and ceremony of an anti-vaccination demonstration. Ouch. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing of it is, I I think what it comes down to is sort of the trolley problem. It always feels better or less guilty not to do something than to do something. Well, yeah. So if you feel like there's a one in a million chance that a vaccine will harm your child, even if there's there's a one in 10 chance that the thing they're being vaccinated against is going to harm them. The fact that you're taking action makes it feel more dangerous. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hypothetical fear versus a real life fear. Like Mm -hmm. you can see the needle and you can see it injected. You don't know if they're going to get sick. They might not. It's the fear of a possibility versus the fear of something you're actively requesting. Yeah. So like, 
I understand where it comes from, yeah. from like, a, you know, from that perspective. But it's just, I mean, the thing that gets me every time is there are people out there, there are children out there who cannot be vaccinated, people with compromised immune systems, and they yep. rely on herd immunity. And yep. when you make that decision, you're not just making it for your kid. You're endangering these kids who who can't who are can't protect themselves. And so you sort of owe it to the the greater community. Yeah, there's this definite ebb and flow with vaccines. When a disease is at epidemic levels and people are dying of it every day, people want the vaccine <laughs> yes. because that's very scary. But then when that danger goes away and it's less scary than a needle, then anti-vaccination movements start up again and they just they just go up and down in this roller coaster and they've been doing it for literally 200 years it's easy to get everyone vaccinated against polio right yeah but now there there's but now it worked (laughs) so now that's not scary anymore right and like nobody's seen smallpox Mm -hmm. so like nobody nobody needs to get that because it's not scary right I'm going to create mutated smallpox and then we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the thing to remember when, like, if you're a parent and you have kids and you're thinking about vaccinating them is to think back to China for a thousand years when parents would go to someone with smallpox, take one of their scabs and <laughs> stuff it in their child's face. Like they <laughs> did that to protect their kids. It yeah. was scary and it was dangerous, but they did it to protect them. Yeah, it was almost magic. Right. And what you're doing is much less scary and much more helpful. Like, it's the right thing to do. So do it. Yeah. So now do, we, now do we tell stories? Yeah. Now do I get to whine about my recent experiences? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. So um, vaccines do have side effects. That's true. <laughs> we recently got our daughter vaccinated it was chicken pox it was it it wasn't mmr this time was it well i mean it's been a lot of stuff yeah, this one it was uh chicken pox dtap and flu i think is what it was gotta love that dtap and she had a fever for five days Oof. which let me be clear a lot better than chicken pox or sure. you know something more serious that like whooping cough but yeah it was miserable. And it does feel bad because it's like you did cause that. You made yeah. that decision to get your kid sick. But you do it you do it anyway. And it's like like we talked to the doctor while we were there because she actually had a bad reaction to her last vaccine too. And mm. like the doctor's like, you know, are you concerned? Do you wanna in a very like please don't do this way, like like I don't think we need to talk about changing the vaccine schedule. And I was like, No, 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 I don't want to stop vaccinating my child. I'm just yeah. I just want to to go over what's happened so far because when she got the measles vaccine, she got the mini measles. When she got the mumps vaccine, she got the mini mumps. When she got the chickenpox vaccine, she got tiny chickenpox. She just gets every vaccine reaction. Yeah, and but at least you have something like there's something concrete happening that you have a concern about. Yeah, Yeah. I love vaccines. Can't get enough of them. Why I get them every day with a false name. You are terribly ill. <laughs> um, no, I get my flu shot every year. When Alex and I went, our, went and got our uh, flu shots this year, there was a family that was two younger children and the mom and dad. And the kids were scared, but the dad handled it so well that I was just like, wow, 
<laughs> like he showed them videos like cartoons on YouTube while they were getting the vaccines ready huh. about what they did and how they protected you and all this stuff. And he went first and then he was like, but your mom's scared. You have to show her how, how nice, how strong <laughs> you are. So the kids didn't even cry. They were just nice. Like that guy was awesome. Oh man. The last time autumn had a bad vaccine reaction, she had a fever and we took her to uh, an urgent care, you know, one of those like quick clinics yeah. we're waiting in the lobby and then a guy comes in and he's just like coughing up a storm and lady's like, can I help you? He's like, yeah, I think I might have whooping cough. And I'm like, shit, son of a goddamn, just like you, like we moved as far away from that man as we could. And the people up there were like, okay, put on this mask and de like rub yourself and rubbing alcohol. Like sit in the corner. Yeah. But they quickly ushered him away, and then, like, I was like, all right, everyone, hold your breath as we run through the door. Like Rivers of sweat running down Sean's forehead. Oh, it was so scary. Uh, I got lots of vaccines in the military. I'll bet you did. Yeah, there's, there's like, one day where you have to walk down a whole gauntlet of <laughs> various needles. Like, I don't do well with uh, needles, needles in general. It's Mostly it's blood draws more than injections, but mm. it's like that one day... I can't even remember how many I got, but some of them were the uh, pneumatic needles, mm-hmm. which I didn't mind as much. Yeah. But they, they make them sound scarier. They say, like, if you move your arm when we do this, it could slice your whole arm open. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the very end of it all, they give you uh, lollipop. lollipop. Yeah. No, there's no lollipop. <laughs> Uh, they give you what they call the the peanut butter shot hmm. is where you, you have to pull your pants down a little bit and they they inject what feels like peanut butter into your butt <laughs> because it, it feels like a ball of like salt semi-solid like matter going into you and then it feels like you have a you're sitting on a golf ball for a week is it smooth or chunky <laughs> chunky for sure oh, do they explain what they're actually giving you or is it I'm just sure the dealer's choice I mean, they don't have to you're in the military yeah, you I'm, signed up for this i'm sure they did but the uh, boot camp is such a blur we just want to find out what happens when we put peanut butter in people's butts <laughs> we, we've mixed we've mixed corn starch and water and tell me when you sit down on this is it hard <laughs> choose the admirals choose jiff <laughs> soft serve for uranus sir <laughs> all right well, if nobody has any more personal stories, we'll move on to what are your morals worth? Oh, uh, I do have one more, actually. Okay. I'm, I might be one of the few people here that have the, the smallpox scar. Oh, really? Yeah, because I got the, the smallpox uh, vaccine when I was in the military as well. Oh, well, I don't know if you can play our game then. Oh, <laughs> I could tell you about it. It's <laughs> it's not a shot. No, <laughs> it's it's a solid needle and they dip it in the vaccine and then they pinch your 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 shoulder meat. And they stab you a bunch with the needle. <laughs> it's, it's a little traumatic. <laughs> stop, stop, please. You're not going to get smallpox. I'll talk. I'll work for the Chinese, anything. Now, they can do it with a regular needle, but they just think this way is so much more fun. And then, uh, like, you, some people get smaller or bigger scabs, but, like, they, they kind of make that part scary too. Like if the scab falls off, you could, you could infect the entire crew. <laughs> you have to, you have to, you have to keep track of your scab and bring it back to the, the medical bay. Some, some they can make more vaccine. Eat it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> if it crunches, then you're fine. If it smushes, God help you. <laughs> Overboard. <laughs> okay. That was it. Okay. Well, for the rest of you, you probably aren't vaccinated against smallpox because it was officially eliminated in 1980. But 
Let's say that you are going to get very elated against smallpox. You. Oh, no. I think you can still ask Adam the question. Well, it's still uncomfortable. I guess, but it's just uh, it's just a little scratch. Yeah, that's, that sounds better than rubbed into being stabbed wounds. 15 times. Yeah. I mean, but then I won't catch smallpox. It's true. I feel like your odds of catching smallpox are higher with that. Yeah, higher than none. Yeah. Give me $50,000 and I get to choose the scab. <laughs> this one's shaped like Nevada. <laughs> Don't take the one that looks like a skull. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I could do that. I mean, heck, I could do that. I'm already immune to smallpox. <laughs> Give me all your scabs. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> Crunching down on him. <laughs> <sighs> I feel like I have to put my money where my mouth is. I've been pro-vax this whole time. Give me all these scabs. I want my mouth. This is like a little a- different. <laughs> red hot Cheetos. I would do this one for a dollar. <laughs> Beat that. <clears throat> Two percent chance of death. Yep, you say two percent. I mean, that was in seventeen hundreds. They could probably do some stuff now to to keep you going. But yeah. Oh. <laughs> How gross looking is the scab? I don't have to well, see it. They're gonna like powder yeah, for it's, me. It's powdered. Uh, you have to watch them pull it off the other guy. <laughs> just or, just imagine it's like gold bonds powder, and they just like sprinkle it in your wounds. It looks like they're pe- peeling spirit gum off the other guy. They've got a whole spike jar full of them, like it's bacon bits. <laughs> <laughs> Just say when. Mm, yeah, give me a hundred thousand dollars for each percentage chance of my death. So give me two hundred thousand dollars. Hmm, that seems like a fair going rate, actually, for death. Yeah, I don't know. I, again, I'm probably overconfident, but I don't feel like I need to take a year off of work for this one but yeah it's probably somewhere in the middle there so i'll cut andy in half i'll say twenty-five thousand. yeah oh, but do you get to choose the scab uh nah it's dealer's choice hmm. they're gonna choose a gooey one for you <laughs> yeah for me you guys can pick your scabs if you want this one looks fun <laughs> no i know sean he wants to pick the scab himself literally oh, like he wants to pick no, off the no. other person's scab i love picking scabs <laughs> <laughs> nothing quite like it mm, so good All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for this week. Thanks to everyone for joining us. And thanks to our amazing editor, Gerard. If you'd like more of us, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Acid Pop Podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Reddit or email us at acidpoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't eat scabs. Bye. So we're on to our story. So I'm going to do a little bit of a different approach here. I'm going to talk about this. <laughs> no way. Sorry. What happened? <laughs> Kelly just leaned in to yawn at the microphone. <laughs> Make sure they get it all, Kelly. <laughs> it's been a very trying day. <laughs>